0: Hello and welcome to St. Patrick's Podcast. I'm Martina Purdy. And I'm Elaine Kelly.
1: And our guest is the former Taoiseach, Bertie Ahern, And we'll be speaking to him about his links to
0: St. Patrick, the peace process and his faith journey. Bertie Ahern, born Bartholomew Patrick, is the second longest serving Taoiseach in Irish history. The only one to have been elected three times in a row.
1: He was Taoiseach from 1997 to 2008, resigning amid controversy over financial dealings and Bertie O'Hearn served
0: 35 years in the Dáil. And now he describes himself as free. He's a father of two and a grandfather of six, and his work now focuses on international conflict resolution and peace building. His proudest achievement is his work in our peace process and the signing of the Good Friday Agreement,
1: and we are delighted to welcome him to the podcast. Bertie, it's Elaine here, and we owe you a great debt of gratitude, especially because St. Patrick's Centre itself is celebrating 20 years this year, and the Centre is a legacy of your peace and reconciliation work here in Downpatrick. So welcome, Bertie.
2: Thank you very much, Elaine. And it's delighted to, to talk to you. And uh, I know a bit about the good work that you're doing at St. Patrick's Centre. And uh, my congratulations to you. And I saw that you had a very busy St. Patrick's Day this year. So. Um uh, that, I think that worked out very well from all, all the reports I heard. So well done to you. And
0: Thanks. thank you for endorsing St. Patrick's show. It was a great help. And uh, that was the theme music <laughs> from the show, which we stole for our podcast. <laughs> um, Bertie, the last time we spoke was in Washington during St. Patrick's Day celebrations. And you were Taoiseach at the time and I was the BBC's political correspondent. And I can't say I miss politics. Do you?
2: Um, Not really. Uh, There there are sometimes and some things that uh, come across in the media and you'd love to be there to either influence or deal with them. But I think 90 plus percent of the time, uh, I'm more than happy to get on with the things I'm involved with now. Um, I've had a, a, a very busy 10 or 12 years involved in conflict resolutions in different places and involved in different projects. And you know, I, I, I've been involved in some, some environmental projects. I've done a lot of work out in Papua New Guinea, and I've been involved with Turkey and Ukraine and other places. So uh, it, it's uh, I, I rarely watch um, Doll Ireland debates now, except when there's something on that I really want to listen to.
1: <laughs> well, Bertie, just on that, um, what you've mentioned, we've read your amazing website and all the good work you're doing uh, in Peace Resolution. Um, so what I want to bring you down to is now... Um, when you think about the progress of the Good Friday Agreement, how would you measure that in light of the street violence now that you've seen, unfortunately, in Belfast in recent weeks?
2: Yeah, I think from time to time uh, you're going to get um, some problems. You know, I think issues come up, but our issues are misrepresented. Normally, I think and. Um, uh, then you know the temperature goes up, and I think the recent ones you know built around the protocol and uh, you know built built around the, the controversy that politicians were engaged around that, and then that feeds down to the ground, and you know it, it creates some difficulty. And I suppose it, it is regrettable, but it's still a little bit understandable. And I think the big thing uh, for political leaders. Uh, community leaders, church leaders, is you know as best they can to to try and keep an even keel on this. But I, I think mainly on political leaders. I the, the difficulties political leaders can rise the temperature on something, and then it gets out of control. And I think the important thing uh, is, is to keep it at the political level. I mean, the issues about the detail of the of the protocol and how that came around and. You know, what happened out of Brexit and the unfortunate, from my perspective, the unfortunate vote that took place in 2016. And then all the the difficulties and discussions that took place around a withdrawal agreement and that. I think you'd find most of the, the, the people that were out on the streets don't, don't really understand the mm. ins and outs of all of that. Um, and people get wound up. Now, I understand that you know, politics does wind up people and even when it's all peaceful. But I think people just have to be very, very careful. And if there is issues, and I'm not saying there's not issues, if, if there are issues, they have to be debated, analyzed. There's a whole procedure within the protocol for dealing with these. There's about four different um, uh, methods of, of arbitration. Uh, to deal with these issues. And, and that's how to deal with them. And, you know, people have strong views about that. That's fine. Uh, if they have alternatives, that's fine. Um, if, if they think there's a better way of doing this or no way of doing this, that's fine. But it's just to do it within the in the political process. I mean... We we live in democracies, we all want to live in democracies, we want to live in peaceful societies. So I think it beholds you know people just to, to keep it to that and it's not taking away their right to object or to to protest about things, but it has to be done in the in the same way of, of, of peaceful peaceful existence with each other.
0: Well, I think, Bertie, one of the reasons the Good Friday Agreement came about was because you were so dedicated, Tony Blair was dedicated, I mean, to the point where you actually uh, left Castle Buildings to to go to your mother's funeral and come back, and you had an international (coughs) element. Is that something that is lacking now? And What advice would you have? Do you think maybe there should be an international panel to come in and help us, or should we have moved beyond that by now?
2: You know, I, I my feeling is we've moved beyond that. I mean, I, I of course, if if it's ever necessary, then it's necessary. But I I, I honestly think, um, you know, the politicians twenty three years on, um, you know, will be nearly a quarter of a century soon. And uh, by and large, things have been peaceful and been pro- progressive. Uh, and I, I think it's best that it's left with the executive and and the institutions. Um, my fear always is that the institutions stay stable. Um, uh, You know, it's not easy, as we know, the last time it was only in in January of 2020 that we got the institutions back up running again. Um, And, and, you know, we're not even midway through the year yet. So uh, that's only 18 months and less. So I think it's very, very important that the institutions work and and that they operate um, properly. And I, I, I feel strongly that, People should follow um, what the template of the Good Friday Agreement is. Uh, It's all set down. I mean, everything might not be perfectly clear, but I think most things are about uh, how how we should operate the executives, uh, the Assembly, the North-South bodies, the East-West bodies, the British-Irish Intergovernmental Conference. Um, and, you know, the British Irish Council. And, you know, these should be followed through and there should be regular and frequent meetings. That's the words that are used in the agreement. And um, I think it's very important that 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 happens. And that's one of the things I I worry about, that sometimes as time goes on, people don't really uh, stick to watching the Good Friday Agreement. Not that they don't mean to be against it, but that they just don't they weren't around at the time where they just don't study it. So I think that's the important thing for people to follow.
1: Yes, Bertie, just that you've touched on that, I recently listened to a podcast by um, Bishop uh, Noel Traynor, who's the uh, Bishop of the Diocese of Down and Connor, and he's been one of the people with the community groups and other church leaders who've been out on the streets recently to try and help quell the violence and bring it back to a political level. And he did make the same point I think you're making as well. He was concerned that basically the maybe the, the Irish involvement and the British involvement and the institutions that are there are maybe standing back a little bit and maybe letting the executive maybe run it alone but in fact, we need, as you've maybe pointed out, there the support and help because there needs to be, as you say, uh, regular and frequent meetings. And I'm just wondering, um, is that maybe where uh, we, we need we, may, we maybe need to get that help?
2: Yeah, I, I think so. I think the it, it's it's not so much outside help; it's help within the agreement. And um, you know, it, it does concern me that we haven't had uh, a British-Irish intergovernmental conference a long long time I think it might even be a few years and then um, we've had nor- a few north-south bodies uh, but that's that's not the that's the two the two governments the British government the Irish government are the custodians of the agreement and you know they're not meeting to discuss these issues uh, that clearly uh, is is not in line with the agreement um you know I I, I I'm not using any other words than what the agreement used. Uh, and, you know, the the agreement says that these must be uh, frequent um, meetings and, and, you know, that should be happening. We, the, there should be frequent meetings and they don't have to be for long. They can be on Zoom. They can be on Microsoft Teams. They can be on anything you like. Um, but they, they, they should be having these meetings and where there are difficulties or issues, uh they they should be dealt with at those meetings. And in the absence of those meetings, that's where things can 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 drift. And then, um, uh, quite quite frankly I don't understand uh why those meetings uh, play place. I'm not I'm not talking I don't expect the British Prime Minister or the Taoiseach to uh have a meeting all day. They don't have to do that. They they could have a, a meeting for an hour and a half and and that's not going to kill anybody. It's, uh, and discuss issues, and then if they need to be followed through by uh, other ministers uh, or our, our officials um, or other institutions w- within the departmental structures, that can happen. But it, it does need um, the, the governments uh, to, to to deal with with this. And the the issue that I frequently raise, and because been, and I'm raising it just so people remember us rather than understand it is mm-hmm. is that the. There were two agreements signed on on that fateful day back in in April 1998 on Good Friday. And um, one was the multi-party uh, agreements between all the parties that were had been involved in those discussions through the winter of 97 and um, uh, uh, autumn spring of, of, of 98. That was one document, and then there was the, the agreement between the two governments, and that's the document that Tony Blair and I signed. And that's the one that says that the the you know the British Irish governmental conference must continue and 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 that there must be an engagement by, by the two governments and uh, that's the East West arrangement and and, and that's the, that's the international agreement and that's the one that's lodged in the UN. So um, I, I'm i I'm afraid if I've a, if a criticism, it's on that, that that part of it is not, in my view, being followed.
0: And you seem to be saying to the President Taoiseach and the Prime Minister they need to take some action and to fulfil those obligations.
2: Yeah, I, I, I think, you see, um, I, I, I think I recently heard both of them, uh, w- when they picked up on my criticism, uh, both of them said that um, they'd been talking. Um, you know, and you, you you, and I and Martine and Elaine, we're talking now, yeah. <laughs> but that's not the same. That's not the same as having a formal British-Irish uh, intergovernmental conference with officials on an agenda. You know, so I I, I I, have no objection. If they want to talk every day, uh, that, that's a good idea. And um, I think there, the institutions of the Good Friday Agreement uh, should be followed. And that means there should be British-Irish intergovernmental conferences uh, on a regular and a frequent basis. That's what we find.
1: Bertie, thanks very much. That's that's um, amazing advice, and uh, we missed you uh, involved in the process, but thank God you're still there um, for advice, and it's great to hear it. But just, I want to just uh, bring you to something else. Bertie. just looking back and knowing what you know now, you entered uh, political activism at 17. Uh, would you do it all again?
2: Um, I often think about that, you know. I, I, I worked, um, I, I, when I finished school first, um, uh, I did accountancy, um, uh, I, I, I did work with uh board by an counter and um, then I went to the Matter Hospital as assistant accountant, and um, uh, then I was cost accountant, then I was secretary to the project team for the redevelopment of the matter. Um, and I even continued that when I was elected first um, in 1977. Um, the hospital in those days was run by the Sisters of Mercy. I had great years working with the Sisters of Mercy in, in Dublin, the Matter Hospital. and um, really enjoyed it and still keep contact with them. And then, you know, that was a very rewarding uh, career. Uh, uh, after, uh, in, in 1980, um, I, I, I was a member of the Doll, uh, but still working full time in the hospital and matter Private um, Hospital, which in those days was also under the Sisters of Mercy, they were building a new private hospital in Dublin in Street, and uh, I, I was offered the post as uh, Chief Executive Officer uh, of the CEO of, of that hospital, and I had the decision to make then because I couldn't stay in politics and stay CEO of a, of, a, of a new hospital that was just been built. I had done all the costings on the hospital at that stage, and I had to go for an interview, and but I, I, I did get the job. So I had, to, I had to make that call. Was I going to stay in politics or not? Um, and that was a hard call to make because uh, the hospital were offering me £20,000 and a car. Uh, and the salary of a TD in the doll was £6,901. Um, so I opted not for the money. I opted for the job. So I said it as a TD. And, um, and it, it then goes on the story. But I, I enjoyed most of that. I enjoyed most of my years in politics. It's tough work. It, it's, uh, I was lucky I represented a great constituency who were hugely loyal to me. I, I always got huge votes and, you know, I never had to worry about re-election. Once I worked for the people, with the people, you know, they, they supported me in elections. And, uh, you know, we had a hu- huge, great organization, a real family kind of organization with great fun, worked hard. Uh, and, um, you know, there were good times, and then I enjoyed being Minister for Labour, that was a the time there used to be a lot of strikes and turmoil in Irish industrial life and social life, but um, we we managed to work our way through all of that, and we set up the social partnership agreements, and, you know, so it was good. And then, of course, I got the chance of being Minister of Finance, which I was appointed three times by both Charlie High and Albert Reynolds, so that was kind of my... Uh, that was my accountancy background, and that was great. So, now l- listen, I, I I I've had fun. Uh, the only <laughs> trouble is life, life moves so fast that it's it uh, you know you you often wonder could you have done other things as well. But anyway, there's a whole lot of things I wanted to play with Dublin, and I, I never got around to doing that. <laughs> oh. A whole lot of other things I would have liked doing. <laughs>
0: well, you were a teenager when you entered politics. And when we look at St. Patrick, he was a teenager when he was kidnapped and, and brought here. And he had a real sense of mission. So if it wasn't for the money, because you had another opportunity, what do you think that maybe politics was your mission?
2: Yeah, I think so. I, I must say I, I, I love working, you know, for people. Uh, I, I love being able to help people. Uh, solving problems, uh, we had a huge constituency office. I had great staff, um, you know, including Sandra, who's still with me all these years later. And you know, we we worked really, really hard looking after uh, the constituency we had. And you know, every day we're dealing with people, we're dealing with cases. And even when I was in the dollar or in government, my office was there. And like there were people in in the morning from eight o'clock, and there were meetings in their office till ten o'clock at night. So it was a real. Uh, and on the weekend, I used to spend a lot of the time in, in in the office going through government briefs and that. And we went out to the constituency, meeting people, working with people, and I really liked that end of the job. Um, you know, I, there, there were probably other aspects of it that I uh, didn't love. I mean, the media intrusion into your life and. You know, people trying to get you all the time and I, I didn't love all of that but you know uh, it, it, it was still um, it was still a very rewarding uh, life and that's why I continue on now I spend most of my time in conflict resolution because it's uh, you really get a sense of doing something useful
1: And Bertie, just on that you mentioned uh, about the media and other things there that uh, we all live um, with regrets in our life uh, what we do at times costs us costs other people um, how do you manage these
2: uh, you know, I, I, I try, of course, these things can annoy you and they can upset you, but I, I try to keep busy and, and keep doing things and keep doing useful things and try to not be knocked off your, your, your objectives. And, you know, I, I think every year, even now I, I, I kind of set out what I, I want to achieve. And, you know, I, I, sometimes you take on challenges that are, I spent 28, 18 and 19, um, going back and forwards to, uh, uh, to, to Papua New Guinea, the other side of the world. Mm. And my job there was to try and negotiate um, uh, a constitutional amendment for what kind of a future the people wanted there. Um, and, you know, to, 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 you were organizing it in very difficult terrain, a uh, beautiful country, but, you know, fer, fer, fairly uh, difficult terrain. And we, we succeeded in doing that in December 2019. So, you know, you get great satisfaction. at uh, of, of these things I, I was working with the UN and uh, working with the Australian and New Zealand government so you know it was a fantastic sense of celebration by the people so if if you keep doing things like that well, mm-hmm. some of the projects I've been involved in are not so good I've been involved in Turkey trying to help the peace process down there with the uh, Kurds uh, that's gone nowhere been <laughs> very um, Ukraine Ukraine we we made some success but uh um, there's a hundred thousand Russians sitting on the border of Ukraine at the moment, so that hasn't been very successful. So uh, you know, there, there, but there, it's still somebody has to try and mm-hmm. deal with it. And I, 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 I enjoy these. And you know, I, I, I talk to you know, I've been involved in a lot of environmental projects from China to God knows where. So it's, uh, it, it, it's, uh, I try to keep busy that's the best thing if you're if you're busy and you're doing things and then i'm involved in a whole lot of things in in ireland still and including in the north i'm involved with a think tank and i I spend a good bit of time in the george mitchell um institute when we can in queens still haven't been able to do a lot this year because of the pandemic
0: um yet looking at that i mean looking back on it's been more than 20 years since the good friday agreement is there anything you would change about the agreement knowing what you know now
2: um I, I think probably you know the the one of the things that we said when we did the agreement was that from time to time uh there would have to be review uh and you'd see if the if the workings of the agreement um were you know fit for purpose at any one time that's something to keep we did it once we did it when we negotiated the saint Andrews agreement um And and, and that was the first review we did. There's been a few kind of reviews since to get the institutions back up and running last year. Um, uh, So I think the agreement allows itself from time to time. Uh, Just because we negotiated a particular form of agreement, a form of words 23 years ago, that in my mind doesn't mean it has to be word perfect uh, and nothing can change i don't it should be uh, incremental and you know ultimately i would love to see the day but we're not there yet where in northern ireland you would have government and opposition that they, you would have the executive maybe being one party or two parties or even the government in the south at the moment is three parties and um, and then other parties in opposition i mean that's probably um more in line with a, a democratic uh, position, but you know that that will happen in time. Hopefully, I, I think the way it is now is the best way, and I think it's 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 good that all parties are there now and to try and build stability and build a build a future. And you know, I I see great. Um, may, maybe as I said earlier on, maybe there are downsides in the profile. Maybe there is. But if there is, then we should also talk about the upsides, and the upsides are there's an enormous opportunity for Northern Ireland now, and because they're still in the European Union, Customs Union, and Single Market, uh, they're also have are part of the UK, and also they're on the island of Ireland, and all of the good relationship with the US. So there is, they have distinct advantages for the economy in Northern Ireland now to bring in. Um, investment, investment from local and foreign and I think that's um, a huge opportunity that there's not enough to focus on and I know for a fact Martine and Elaine that there are a number of companies around Europe and in, and in the rest of the UK that are looking at Northern Ireland as a promising place uh, for investment and employment and for the future. And uh, I think we should acknowledge that. So, when we're talking about the problems, we should also talk about the immense advantages that are there uh, in the present arrangements.
1: Uh, Bertie, we, we had a chance to go through some of your autobiography, and particularly at the start of your autobiography, you, you speak beautifully about your um, life in Don Condra, your family life. And your mother and father were very devout Catholics, staunch Republicans. What would they make today of today's Ireland?
2: Um, I think they'd probably have a bit of difficulty with <laughs> <laughs> with, with, with with some of it. I mean, we we, we were a, a, a strong uh, Catholic family, a strong Republican family. My father worked his full time job was working for the Vincentian Order and um, in the seminary in in All Hollows in Dronackenbre uh um so in, in the area where i lived in it was known as holy land mm-hmm. um we had all, all, all around us um my dad worked in all hallows college just down the road was mm-hmm. clonliffe college uh, which was the the college for the 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 priests for the the dublin diocese um the Vincentians nuns were down the road uh, we had franciscan brothers um we had rosmini fathers The Christian brothers. I went to Christian brothers' schools, all my brothers did uh, as as well. Uh, And then we saw with several other um, religious uh, groupings in in, in the area. So it it, it was, uh, I remember when we were small, uh, I don't know if in the north you had the practice, but on Monday, Thursday, and Holy Thursday, um, you you, you would visit the altar of Pose in seven churches. Um, I don't know if that was a Dublin tradition or... No, we, uh, we, we
0: did, well, we we visited the altar of repose in the convent every Holy Thursday. <laughs> no, but we read with interest yeah. that, yes. that you did that over three days. We, So
1: please, please continue. Yeah.
2: yeah, Yeah. so we used to, we had seven churches that to, to, you, you could visit, but it was very easy to do it in Drunkondra <laughs> mm-hmm. because there were there were churches all over the place. I think within about 10 minutes walk of my house, there was about 10 churches and... Mm. Um, the, many of them are gone now we 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 had carmelite nuns that were very close my father used to do some work for those uh, now and again and um, down the road we still had the red nuns the Redemptorist nuns um who were who are still uh, active so it it, it, it was a, it was a great place and uh, i must say uh, i admired them all and and supportive of them all and um and during my my political days uh I think most of them, not all of them, mm. but most of them voted for me. There were a few people mm. Very wise. <laughs>
1: uh, but
2: I I, 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 great, I great respect for them. And of course, I went to St. Patrick's School in Drumcondra. Mm. So, um, uh, St. Patrick's was, was our national school. And that was part of St. Patrick's College, which was the training ground for all primary teachers. Uh, still is, it's part of Dublin City University now. Uh, but that was also run by the Vincentians. And, um, you know, it, 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 I think it's important for people nowadays, and this is where my mother and father, I think, would have a difficulty to answer your question directly. All of these religious um, orders and institutions um, ran very important services uh, um, for, for the state, um, whether there were priests or whether there were students doing education or you know where there, there were many other uh, the the, um, the where the was many fathers are now. which child vision is there, but they they educated the the people with visually impaired eyesight. And but all of these things at one stage were run by by religious uh, orders. And uh, I think sometimes people forget uh, that we mightn't have a lot of these educational institutions or services if it wasn't for religious orders. And you know, I think people still remember that.
0: And what do you think about Saint Patrick? And your parents had the wisdom to give you Patrick as a, a second name. Uh, what does he mean to you?
2: Yeah, well, I remember when I I was in school in in Saint Pat in Saint Pat's in in Drunkundra, uh we we were always taught. I'm sure we would have been anyway as part of primary education, but because our school was Saint Patrick's, uh, we were always taught of of what he did to the country. You know what what he did in. Uh, bringing re- religious life to the country and to bringing Catholicism to the country, and you know, and and his story was always one to resonate. But here he, here he was a um, uh, a guy out looking after the, the flock and um, being in so many parts of the country and up your part of the country. Uh, so I, I think that the, the the stories and the legends and the history it was a great way of educating us into. Uh, understanding how the, the country advanced, and uh, I, I always um, during lockdown last year, I, I was reading the um, the annals of the four masters. I'd say I was the only guy in the world that ever tried to read the annals of the four masters because it's <laughs> <of seven laughs> volumes of book, but it, it, it got me through lockdown. And um, I was only able to do thirty pages a day, a day because you have all the uh, anecdotic notes, and you're trying to. But, but anyway, I, I I I got through. I, through it in nine months of lockdown, but it's uh, but it's fascinating that history and you know how the names developed and you know what the involvement of of Saint Patrick was when you get that period and um, that's that's well recorded. I don't think people realise how much records there was from those the hmm. and the uh, um and, and and all of the documents that there were in in various places. So it, w- it was a great read, but a tough read. I wouldn't recommend people do it for bedtime. <laughs>
1: Uh, so, talking about lockdown, pretty. How have you coped? And uh, how has it been for you not being able to get out to get the mass? You've probably been able to watch it online, but we find that
0: tough. Yeah,
2: yeah. I, I, I actually was at Clonard a lot of mornings. In, in. Uh, <laughs> I, I went around the country. I, I, Clonard I, uh, do the seven o'clock mass in the morning, which is, uh, is is always very nice. And of course, I know that. I know that the, the, the planard people well from the from the peace process, and then other days I was going to Derry, and then some days going down to my father's country in Cork. So I was, uh, and then the, on the weekend I was going to the uh, the Redemptor's Order here in Dromcondra. So I, I was moving around the country, but only staying in my kitchen. So it's uh, I still like to tune in to, in, into in today's daily mass, and um, but I'd still look forward to getting back to my my old church and. Say, of syndrome so I think we're probably going to get the announcement on uh, Thursday that we're allowed to go back to, to, to church again. So I, I look forward to that.
0: And your faith has always been important to you. You speak in your uh, memoirs about grace novenas in your parish, and, and it's got you through some difficult times.
2: Yeah, definitely. I, I, I mean, I, I, I am. Uh, you, don't, you don't want to overplay it yeah, because you, you, you're attacked nowadays if you do that. But it, it, it's um, you know religion is important to me. Uh, I I am I, um, uh, I'm a believer and I, I I understand it and I read about it and uh, you know I I think it's it's, it's part of my life uh, and I often think that there's a lot of people who have a lot of problems and difficulties It's because they don't have it and you know I, I all I can do is pray for them but I think it's um, I, I think religion is is certainly good for me um it, it's it's probably a, a difficult thing nowadays uh, to to get into people but i think life has changed you don't have to be going to church every sunday i think if if um i do but i think for maybe younger people it's a bit different if, if they're taught to be good to be kind to be respectful uh, if they if they know the basics of what religion is about uh even if sometimes they see them as stories i think that's it that's a good thing. I think the idea of people calling into church and you know, it was a very interesting. I remember about ten years ago, and maybe it's more now. They they brought some of the relics um, uh, from Rome over to some of the churches in Dublin, and thousands of people went. Um, mm. but they wouldn't they wouldn't go to church on the Sunday, but they 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 were very happy to go and you know to 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 worship um, in a different way and. I think maybe that's what the modern church has to do it has to find new new ways of of attracting people to worship I, I think maybe some of the old days uh, um it, it's it's a bit hard to to convince young people
1: and on that Bertie, what do you think is the future of the faith in Ireland uh I think it it's
2: it's 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 uh it, it's challenging um it's it's challenging I mean we the the numbers have declined you know really uh Massively, um, they they and it, it, it's it's not just that the younger generation. I think the older generation too. Uh, I think vocations will become a problem uh, in, in in the church. So I think the uh, I think the future, uh, of course, there's a future, but I think the future has to be built strongly around the laity. Uh, I I you know uh, I think that churches need to be open. Uh, but I think the religious can't manage it all. I think you need lay people being involved. If you have churches that are locked most of the time, except for Sunday mornings or or if it's ten o'clock mass in the morning, that's not a good thing. So I think the churches need to be open. They need to be active in the community. But the only way of doing that now uh, is is by involving the laity in them. But and what- uh, some of them are doing that, uh, and say I think some are not.
0: It's one thing that we're looking at. I mean, obviously we were in religious life and the poverty of the church was such that they couldn't continue our formation. Um, but we are learning that um, the laity have kind of, they accused the priests of, the, of clericalism and there there is that element, but it's also that the laity, have, it has suited the laity to let the priests kind of do the leading. And we found is that the lady need to be evangelized mm-hmm. and they need to learn that they need to have a personal relationship with jesus christ which is something catholics kind of just don't really have thought about they just thought "Well, show up on a sunday and i've done my duty do you do you understand that this kind of sense of the very personal relationship with jesus and and the power of the resurrection
2: yeah i i i i do and i think the uh the, the difficulty that I suppose, because the country was kind of ninety nine percent Catholic for uh, a long time, people just did things as almost rituals. Um, you went to church on the on the Sunday morning, uh, uh, and then and, and then that that was that was it. But fun, fun, funny enough, um, I I, I know, you know most people watching political life every time they had a problem, they still found the church. You know, so uh, it, it's religion is religion is, is still strong you know like a, a lot of people when when they're uh, when somebody is sick belong to them they'll they, they, they'll they'll still turn back to the church or they'll pray so i think it's it's, it's to try uh it's, it's to try to you know get the the message of the church that it is uh, for everybody uh, that it's a place of healing uh, you know, that people's spirituality has to be explained. Like, uh, you see, all, all the all the scandals, uh, and of course we all condemn all the scandals, but it, it did make it convenient for those that like to bash, bash the church. So, um, you know, and of course they deserved it in, in many cases. But the, the message gets lost in all of that. So I think the challenge now um, is, is for people to understand you know what? You know that 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 Jesus Christ was such a caring person, and uh, that it was open for for people, and that it's all about, you know, helping people who are in need, and um, you know, spreading the message of the Gospels down to a whole new generation. And I think that's the challenge, and it's it's not an easy challenge, but you know, uh, I I still think it's it's do, doable. But you need it. You need a laity, I think. Really, really actively involved in communities because the priests, um, particularly in Dublin, I'm afraid it's an age society and they 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 don't they don't are short of numbers and it's not like the old days where every parish had four or five priests that that doesn't exist anymore.
1: Yeah, Bertie, um, I can really identify with what you're saying because having had, as Martina said, to leave the convent due to the poverty of the church in Ireland and not our vocation has not been able to be sustained. Um. I have come to understand really where we are now in the church. And one of the words that we received when we were about to leave from scripture is that rebuild on the old foundations. Now, we thought, gosh, that must be, you know, uh, be part of a new order, former new order. But kind of what I've come to understand, and Martina, it's what you're saying is that we now need to rebuild on the old foundations of our faith, especially the laity. And what people forget is that the laity are also part of the royal priesthood prophet king when we're baptized
2: yeah i i i i think so and you know but there there's no i mean if you you go uh, I, I don't know if, if if you've ever been kind of into the uh some of the the missions but the, i i know with the um with irish aid when you know the the irish taxpayer gives money to the irish aid programs and you go into some of these, um, I, I was down to Lesotho and Tanzania and Kenya and uh, down, down the years, I remember traveling with Minister Liz O'Donnell into some of those places. And you see, they are very few priests and huge, huge numbers of people. Um, so it, it, on, on Sunday morning, the priest can't be there, he can't be everywhere. So, you know, you have laity kind of doing the prayers on the Sunday morning. And so uh, and, and these people really depend on that. And I thought in, in Papua New Guinea or on a Sunday morning, people may walk for two hours from the mountains uh, down to be part of the, the, the church and the masses. And, you know, it, it's it's extraordinary when you see the huge amount of people. It's very much part of life. And they do that because the only problem I have is the mass goes on for about three hours, which is, uh, um, I don't love. <laughs> but it, it's it's terrific to see, it's terrific to see um you know the, the attention that people have, and, and and it works really well because the laity play a huge part in it. There might just be one priest, maybe one sister, and then uh, or maybe more. Funny in Papua New Guinea, there was far more nuns, than there were priests, um, and and the uh, you know they 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 played a huge role in in having the Sunday mornings work. But it's very much part of life, part of community, you know, part of going somewhere doing something, and, and that and that's that's the way it used to be uh that's the way it used to be in them um, uh in, in ireland but it just needs to be done a a, 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 a different a different way but you know the i i know there's a church on the south side of dublin um in White Fire Street, and they might have huge crowds at mass on the Sunday, but on Tuesday nights they have the the prayers to saint Jude. and you get huge crowds go along. Uh, people that don't be at Mass on Sunday, but they all go along to pray for the very causes to St. Jude. So, I mean, you know, they're, they're still good Catholics, and so there are just different ways of doing things, and I, I think the Church needs to build on that. I think maybe the old formal ways of you have to go to Mass on a Sunday uh, is is not going to work. I think dropping into a Church, saying a prayer, lighting a candle, you know, they're saying it for prayers to your family, That that's probably going to be the way of the, of the future, or maybe reading a bit from the Gospels, I think that's probably going to work better uh, into the new generation, because they, the rising generation are not, you know, they have their own ways, and you, know, you have to, so no good fighting with them, you have to try and accommodate.
0: Well, St. Patrick was once a privileged teenager who had no time for his faith, and really he, he found God in, obviously, in suffering and isolation, but also in the beauty of the countryside, and that is said to be you know, the first step to finding God is to be out there walking and, and seeing the beauty. I understand you're a big walker yourself.
2: Yeah, I sure am. And to tell you the pandemic has uh has put everybody out walking. <laughs> there were some days during the pandemic walking around the area you could hardly get on the footpath. There were so many walking but but there's <laughs> definitely um there's a whole generation that found the local parks. Uh and uh, I'm lucky in, in where I live, that the National Botanical Gardens are near me, and we have some really good parks. So, uh, but I do think I, I do think being close to uh, to nature, being in the open air, uh, getting out and about, that's that's a big big part, and it also gives people time to think, because before when people were leaving to work at half six in the morning, spending an hour and a half in the car, getting into work, um, you know, working all day, an hour and a half back in the evening trying to get their meals for themselves and their kids. You know, there's very little time for for, for life. So I think the experience of the last 15 months, while it's been terrible in one way, has also been useful for people to be able to, uh, you know, to, 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 to know their area and, You'll get a bit of time to to think and meditate themselves.
0: Well, on that note, we don't have. Uh, oh, you've been very generous with your time, and uh, we do want to invite you anytime you want to come to Dan Patrick and we'll give you the walk of your life, Birdie. It's beautiful. Yeah, and... I'd,
2: I'd love to get up there and get, and keep up the good work on on, on the centre. And um, uh, I'm sorry things didn't work out exactly the way you you had planned them. I I, I understood the, the the rules, but then. Um, but still, you, you can have a, a huge, huge positive role as you're doing at St Patrick's Centre. So uh, I look forward to meeting up wow. with you again again sometime.
0: Thank you very much. And you know, life is a big adventure. And we have we always ask this one question. So Elaine's going to ask so, really, just to finish off last question. Patrick
1: famously banished the snakes from Ireland. What would you banish?
2: Um, injustice. Uh, I, I I think and violence. I. I am anti-violent and, and, and anti-injustice. I think it's, uh, uh, I, I think if we can all live um, in peace and harmony, uh, then we have a better, safer country. Um, and I, I think that's, that's what we need to do, is try and try and deal with evil. And if uh, if we could get rid of evil in life, all kinds of evil, all forms of evil, then we'd be uh and then, then then we'd be better uh, to be better. and of course we all have to be kind to each other and the kinder we are to each other, the, the better.
0: Well, thank you very much. um you've been very generous with your time and we really appreciate it. um we know it's yours uh, you're turning seventy this year, so we will um, be praying for you on your milestone uh, absolutely you're the only Bartholomew I know, so I always prayed for you in the convent on august twenty fourth <laughs> but uh, all the best. There you go. And Bertie, just on a, just a last Martina,
2: note, lovely to talk to you God bless. and uh, hopefully and we meet up again. God bless you. Thank break.
1: you, thank you for you. all the thank work you've you done on the Good Friday Agreement. Thank you.
2: Thank so, you very much.
1: Thank you. So special thanks to our producers, Dr. Tim Campbell and Damien McKee. And our next podcast will be posted on the 17th of May. So God bless you all and thank you. Thank you. Thank you.